Welcome to Blood and Firewater, where we shoot tequila and chase it with a case of murder. Blood and Firewater is a true crime comedy podcast that touches on real stories and situations. We are not professionals and we do not pretend to be. This episode may contain graphic material not suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. Now, if you do me a favor and say some words... I got a fart. Though that a, hey, huh? that works. I'm just trying to make sure we sound good because last time we had some uh, technical difficulties. Uh, I believe I had my microphone up too loud, and the hum from my headphones was heard in the microphone, and that's why it was like just terrible. And I I was like going back and listening to it. And at some point I was like in the recording, I was like, hey, this noise is annoying. And then I turned it off. So now we have to just basically re-record part two of Son of Sam. Dre's already heard part two, obviously. So I felt like it was it was cool. It was cool to uh put you on for part two. Because I mean, I know you're you're a, you're a rookie in the true crime game, so um, you don't really care about the backstory stuff and the McDonald triad and setting fires and harming small animals. You you want to get down to the where where the where the body's at. Wait wait wait! Surprise everybody! It's light bright. Not on a Patreon episode. I'm on a full episode. How y'all doing? Welcome to Blood and Firewater. I'm your host Rashad. Over there's Ajon. So today's case, obviously, if you haven't listened to the first two minutes of this episode, is part two of Son of Sam. If you haven't heard part one, obviously, just just go back. Like I don't I don't know I don't know anybody who just goes straight into a part two. Like you kind of have to be some kind of special. You basically are just trying to get to the meat and potatoes of the case, just like I feel like Ajon would like to hear. Dre's already heard part two because we recorded it already. Audio problems, blah, blah, blah. Ajan has not heard part one. So Native. I I thought that it would be formidable for her argument to be based on just the crimes, whereas Dre and I know the backstory. So there's an argument to be had there based on this shit that's going to go down in this episode. I mean, I'm gonna be honest. I, I'm pretty keen on true crime. I know a lot. Oh, okay. But I have no idea who son of Sam is. I don't think you're that keen then. Well, hey, hey, hey. You know, Dahmer. I know Dahmer. Oh, okay. That's a pretty big name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So who who, who is son of Sam? Just Are you serious? Give give me give me a a synopsis. Yeah. Let walk me through part one. All right. So. David Berkowitz, uh, he was born Richard David Falco. He was adopted, Jewish parents, raised weird, grew up weird, smart guy. You good? He, he was in the military, like a lot of these other serial killer guys. You want to know who else was in the military? What? Dom. Yeah, I, I, I just said that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Go off, go off. So, Dahmer, no, Dahmer, uh, Berkowitz. <laughs> Joined the military, got out, had a, a bunch of miscellaneous jobs. He was a nobody. Nobody remembered him. 
then, you know, he, he moved around a lot through, you know, from Brooklyn to Queens, you know, co-op city. So he's like, you know, getting around. And I mean, I guess as a face in New York, it's really hard to stand out, especially. But I mean, he had a weird face. Like, you ever, you, so you've never seen David Berkowitz before? Um, back I've... in, back in 1970, when his mugshots and shit was taken, he looked like if you took a picture of him, you took a picture of Mona Lisa, and you sat him side by side. He got a muscle neck. Let me put it that way. He yeah. has a muscle neck. Like his neck, he's he's just straight neck. That's it. Sure. I mean, everybody everybody's got a neck. His was his his was more than than normal. But like okay, so the Mona Lisa thing. You take a picture of him, you take a picture of Mona Lisa, and you sit him side by side, and you're like, hmm, he looks like her. But and then there's a conspiracy theory that Da Vinci painted a boy in that picture and what you know, whatever. By the way, that's that's part three. You know, we're we're all gonna sit down at the round table and discuss the case and whether or not he should be number one. I, I know it's a hard pill to swallow, but I don't think Dahmer's got some anything on this guy. Watch your mouth. All right. Well, we're about to find out because I'm about to tell you a whole bunch of crazy shit, and then you're gonna be like, hmm, maybe. Listen, y'all for y'all are in for a treat when we wrap up this season. Y'all are in for a treat. Y'all already know I'm Dahmer. That's my baby right there. I mean, you know, he's serial killer. He did bad things and whatnot, but. I have never been physically shook by anybody. I'm kind of desensitized to certain things serial killers have done and do. But Dahmer, mm -mm, he, I cried just listening to the case. I cried just knowing the things that he did to those people. But go off. So if this is your first time, welcome. We're a true crime podcast slash, or we're a true crime slash comedy podcast. Our socials are... Instagram at Blood and Fire Water Podcast, Twitter at BFW Pod Squad, and Snapchat at BFW Pod Squad, I believe. Um, so, update on the merch. I finally, finally got into my garage and uncovered some stuff and started making some things. Uh, I posted all about it on Instagram a couple days ago. And I have three designs up but like you know it's it's a growing thing uh so far i have about seven or eight they're all true crime related they're all going to go on stickers they're all going to go for stickers tote bags t-shirts and whatever else that i can find that you know vinyl or ink will stick to give me give me a, give me a good week and we'll be up and running uh as far as the store for anyone else who just wants to purchase merchandise our Etsy store will be available, I want to say, somewhere towards August, towards the middle of August. Possible giveaways. Uh, possible giveaways for the 4th of July coming up. I have a some stickers that I've posted on our Snapchat that I wanted to make, and now I am able to. If you want to check those out, I believe you just go to our Snapchat. I'm not really sure how Snapchat works when you're looking at someone else's snaps. I'm have like, a shot. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to figure it out either. I heard that, you know, there's certain things that you say that people say in their day day life, you know? Sure. So those of you that have things that Rashad have said, slide in the DMs on Instagram. Send it to us. You, you might get 
one of your favorite quotes from Rashad put on a shirt. Oh, or that. Or that. That as well. That, that would work out pretty good. Patreon, if you want to check us out on Patreon, uh, that's where a bulk of our merchandise will be going. We are working with T Public right now to get together a store for stuff that I just know is out of my wheelhouse, but I know they can do. So more more designs will be there, but that store doesn't go up until I think today. Like I I talked to a representative at T Public today, or if you're listening today, it was three days ago. But she said that uh, the store should launch on Tuesday, which should be today. And um, yeah, uh, some designs will be going there as well. So like, hey, we're we're trying to give you stuff and trying to sell you stuff. Uh, so the Patreon start at a dollar. There's extra extra episodes on there. There's maybe ten, ten or fifteen extra episodes. I'm not sure. We we try and upload at least one extra episode each week, maybe bi-weekly. They are completely unrelated to our normal season schedule. There are just things that we like to talk about, discuss whatever's going on in the world news. We try to avoid religion and politics as much as we can, but sometimes shit just happens. So, with no further ado, let's get into tonight's case, part two of David Berkowitz. So, I think in part one, we ended off around 1975 or towards the end of 1975. I can't remember. And something I wanted to do before we get started into part two is set the scene a little bit for the environment that was New York City. Now, I believe you just came back from New York City. I did, I did. I was hoping to see some of our listeners up there, but, um, you know, things don't go as you plan, but I do plan on going back to New York sometime soon, in maybe the next month or two. How would you describe the city? Uh, coming, we're in, I'm, I'm from the South, South Carolina. I've never been to a big city before, so it was most definitely a culture shock for me, seeing how y'all drive up there. Once again, from the South, never been in a big city. Uh, Overwhelming experience, but it was fun. It was most definitely fun. I could see myself living in New York. Okay, so, well, the climate in New York City during that time. During when I went? No, 1975, 1976. It was shitty. Really, really, really shitty. So bad that they were handing out survival pamphlets at the airport warning people not, I repeat, not to go to New York. Don't believe me? I have a copy of the pamphlet right here. On the front, it reads, quote, Welcome to Fear City, unquote. A survival guide for visitors to the city of New York. This was not created by some, like, spiritualists or hippies trying to spread peace and love and chlamydia. Fear City was created by the Council of Public Safety due to the fact that the mayor at the time, Mayor Beam, was in the midst of laying off 10,000 police officers and firefighters. If in fact you cannot avoid going to New York, here are some simple rules to follow during the latter half of the 1970s. Number one, stay off the streets after 6 p.m. Period, don't, don't go outside at all. Your dog got a pee, it's too bad. Do not walk. Period. Like, that that was it. If you must leave your hotel, summon a taxi by telephone. 
Number three, avoid public transportation. You should never ride the subway for any reason whatsoever at any point in time for any reason at all whatsoever at all for no reason. Number four, remain in Manhattan. If you remain in midtown areas and restrict your travel to daylight hours, emergency personnel are best able to provide protection. Number five, protect your property. Number six, safeguard your handbag. Number seven, conceal property in automobiles. Number eight, do not leave valuables in your hotel room and do not deposit them in the hotel vault. At all, for any reason, okay. And number nine, beware of fire hazards. Um, that came up in part one because homeboy couldn't stop setting fires. There were a million of these pamphlets printed and distributed. Now I know what you're thinking. New York wasn't that bad when you went, right? It wasn't like, you know, trash everywhere and people yelling at each other for no reason. <laughs> what? Uh, horns blowing and traffic. Just... Pause. You were, you were in communication with me half the time I was up there. All you heard were horns being blown. Let me put it this way. Once again, never been anywhere uh, up north from the south. When you know from in the south, when it says it's gonna be fifty six degrees down here, it's like yeah, I can put on a light jacket, I'll be fine. Light jacket, shorts, Crocs, I'm good. Fifty six in New York, you better bundle up. Like I went up there with dresses and shorts and ripped up jeans, just knowing I was gonna be fine. It is freezing in New York. All right, freezing. But continue, continue. Well, I mean, why'd you get off and talk about the weather? Um, you were just talking about, you know, uh, yelling, horns, trash. You went. Di- different parts of New York, it is very loud, very loud. Um, not, not a lot, a little trashy, but still fun experience. Nice city. Not shitting on New Yorkers. Beautiful city. Y'all are. All right, so hey, I'm going to hit you with some true crime facts. All right, what's up? uh, For the week of whatever week this is right now. Right now, according to Neighborhood Scout, out out of a score of 100, 100 being the safest, zero being the wild, wild west, New York City received a, drum roll please, 26. Wild, wild west. Don't get offended, any of our New York listeners, if you're still there. Our city got a five. Greenville County got a five out of a hundred. Yeah. And New York got a twenty-six. New York got a twenty-six. Sheesh. Yeah. For for what crime? Yes. Sheesh. Yeah. Hey, I wonder what Spartanburg got. <laughs> Jeez. Ooh. Anyway. Your chances of being a victim in New York City of a violent crime are one in one hundred and eighty-eight. And property crime, 1 in 62. But in 1970, 1975, oh baby, were you in a lot of trouble. If you did not know where you were, you could be knocked out just for looking at anybody for any amount of time. Weird. That's it. That's all it took. And it's still like that today. I mean, I'm sure if you go to Brooklyn or Queens or Harlem and you stare at somebody for, I don't know, three seconds. Knockout game. I don't know. In 1975, it was dirtier than usual. 
Okay, like you, you saw dirty in New York. It was dirtier than usual. Like you know how you can kind of let your house go and then it's gone. That kind of dirty. It was noisier. You remember that noise and that all that commotion you were talking about? Well, it was, it was more, more than most cities in the world. And you saw how people were packed in New York like canned sardines. And the people sucked. And to, you know, pop culture, most people from New York just, in general, suck. That's not me. That's, that's, look it up. I was lucky enough to meet some nice people. According to DisasterCenter.com, there was a notable, notable spike in crime from 1974 to 1975. 11,000 violent crimes were reported, one for every 15 residents. You remember that restaurant we went to? <laughs> restaurant. Restaurant? Uh, it was, I don't know, let's say there was 50 people in there. Three of them were victims of violent crime as we all left. There were victims? Three of them are victims? Yeah. Okay. 4,000 were assaulted, robbed, raped, or murdered. Sheesh. It's a lot like, people. seriously, dead bodies just laying out in the street. Bank robberies like every hour on the hour, and the police force could not handle the sheer volume, especially being short-staffed by their own governor. But it was nowhere near as bad as the 80s when crack showed up and turned drug addicts into, like, supervillains, but we're, we're, that's not what we're talking about. Crackhead strength, man. 1975 and up is not, it's just not a great time to be in New York is basically what I'm, that's the picture. So, assumably, Berkowitz thought to himself, since the purge is going on outside, he may as well go out and get in on the fun. He claims that, yeah, I said claims because Berkowitz is still alive. Berkowitz said that he attacked two women on Christmas Eve in 1975 with a hunting knife. One of the victims was a 15-year-old girl who was seriously injured. No deaths, thankfully, but the 15-year-old was hospitalized for seven days. Obviously not a suspect because the city was on fire, figuratively speaking, literally speaking. He was able to just live his life, sorting mail. Even He even got a new spot in Yonkers about 30 minutes from his old place in Co-op City. Here's the part where it starts to get good slash bad. The first attributed Son of Sam shooting happened July 29, 1976 in an area of the Bronx called Pelham Bay. Just two girls... Donna Loria and Jody Valenti hanging out in the car, 18 to 19 year olds, because it's just the thing to do. Maybe listening to the radio, smoking a left-handed cigarette. I don't know. I wasn't there, but I'm glad. Because around 1 a.m., as soon as Loria went to leave for the night, she was approached. I guess we're going to just keep the name of this guy's secret, but we, we all know. She was approached by a man brandishing basically a hand cannon. Then he let three go inside of Jolie Valenti's double-parked Oldsmobile. Loria was pronounced dead at the scene from a gunshot wound to the head. Valenti was shot in the thigh. The third shot missed. Valenti was able to give a description of the shooter. She described the man as a white male in his 30s, little feller, about 5'8", and weighing about 200 pounds. His hair was short, dark, and curly. Pretty accurate if you've seen the picture of the guy. But, I mean, that's every every Italian guy. Okay. Going too far. Police had no suspects and no leads. 
what they did know was that somebody was walking around the Bronx with a very loud, very loud, very big gun. Three months later, a similar attack occurred in a residential area in Queens. Carl Denario, a Citibank security guard, age 20, and Rosemary Keenan, a Queens College student, 18, were sitting in Keenan's parked car when the window suddenly shattered. On that early morning around 1.30 a.m. October 23rd, 1976, the couple did not realize that their car had been shot at. Uh, the couple didn't realize that their car had been shot at until they saw Denario's bleeding head. This attack did not lead to any deaths, but Denario did have to get a metal plate in his head. So maybe trips to the airport may be a pain in the ass, at the least. Keenan's only injuries were from the glass shattering inside of the car. Police noted that the bullets were from a 44 Magnum, just like the previous attack, but the bullet was extensively damaged and was unable to link it to the first attack. Authorities were unable to connect the dots to the first two attacks because they happened in two different boroughs, meaning two different police departments, meaning two different stories and four different possibilities and eight different, like it multiplies like, and then it gets to the point where you just really don't care. So, I can see why they weren't cooperating at the time. But they were also in competition with each other, too. Like, who, hey, who, who's the best in police? Okay, why do I do that every time? Every time. Every fucking time. Every time. Attack number three, November 27th, day before my birthday, 1976. 16-year-old Donna DeMassey and 18-year-old Joanne Lamino were just hanging out on Lamino's front porch in Long Island when a man dressed in, a military, in military fatigues approached them asking for directions. He said, quote, Hey, can you help me get to... And then he started shooting. And then they ran. He fired several shots, but both victims were only hit once. Damasi was shot in the neck. Lamino was hit in the back. Both injuries, although serious, were not life-threatening. But Lamino was ultimately rendered paraplegic. Police once again find these 44 caliber slugs at the crime scene. A witness comes forward who heard the gunshots and they said that they saw a blonde man in his 20s holding a gun and running away from the crime scene. Nothing like the guy they saw at the first crime scene. Weird. This is where a link to the previous two attacks were made, but here's the messed up part. So all of these victims who were able to describe the shooter, composite sketches were made, right? And none of them matched each other. So on paper, they had no idea what this guy looked like, so it was back to square one. But before the smoke cleared from the last shooting, another one happened. At about 12.40 a.m. on January 30, 1977, 26-year-old Christine Freund and her fiancé John Deal were age 30 were sitting in their car. They had just finished getting dinner, okay? It was a very cold night. It's January in New York. You were just talking about how cold it is. Imagine how cold it is in January. Jeez, it was cold in May. Very, very cold night. And it was about 14 degrees. So he had to, you know, literally let his car warm up. Then three gunshots penetrated their vehicle. Only superficially injured, Deal was able to drive away, but Freund was hit twice and died several hours later. Neither of the victims were able to describe the shooter. So, I mean, you got people that can't identify them, never saw them. Then you got people who identify them and then they, all of the composite sketches that they have don't match. 
it makes you is you're led to believe that this this is a two two man sport here. Now I'm just basically setting you up for part three. And of course, uh, without without saying, the police had no suspects and no leads at this time. On March 8, 1977, about a block away from the last incident, Virginia Voskarichian, 19, was walking home from school when she was approached by a man brandishing a very, very, very large handgun. What's different about this attack is that it happened at 7.30 in the afternoon, or 7.30 in the evening, yet no one saw anything. Very, very significant. Makes you think somebody had a lookout. So gun comes up and he's pointing it directly at her face, point blank range. Boscarichian. She has no way to defend herself. She's she just came home from school. She has books. So in an act of self defense, she held the books up and he shot straight through those books. Then ran. The bullet pierced through the books and her skull and killed her instantly. Mm. A witness came forward with another composite sketch, and again, the drawing didn't match any of the previous, so back to square one. Then another witness comes forward giving a description, and that one doesn't match that one or the other ones, so you. No, all of this is going to come up later. I promise. Meanwhile, the notoriety of the so-called 44 caliber killer had gained international attention. Press conferences were an everyday thing. Local media in New York literally never stopped talking about it. And the killer is not done yet. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> April 17, 1977, Alexander Asao, 20, and Valentina Suriani, 18, were sitting in a car a few blocks away from the scene of the Loria... Valenti shooting and then four shots rang through their car Suriani who was sitting on the driver's seat was shot once and assailed twice both victims were shot in the head Suriani died at the scene and Nassau died in the hospital several hours later without being able to describe his attacker or attackers police are just they're, they're at this point like yeah He's, he's shooting people. But the thing about this one is, he left a letter. A letter? The shooter left a letter this time. We just got a letter. Now he's leaving notes. You know what I'm saying? Like, you gotta be a special kind of cocky for that. BTK? This is what it sounds like. The letter left at the scene of the shooting was addressed to the NYPD captain, Joseph Borelli. In full... With misspellings intact, the letter read, quote, I am deeply hurt by your calling me a women hater? Okay. I am not, but I am a monster. I am the son of Sam. I am a little brat. When Father Sam gets drunk, he gets mean. He beats his family. Sometimes he ties me up to the back of the house. Other times he locks me in the garage. Sam loves to drink blood. It escalates quickly. Go out and kill, commands Father Sam. Beyond our house, some rest. Mostly young, raped, and slaughtered. Their blood's drained, just bones now. Papa Sam keeps me locked in the attic, too. I can't get out, but I look out the attic window and watch the world go by. I feel like an outsider. 
I'm on a different wavelength than everybody else. Programmed to kill. However, to stop me, you must kill me. Attention all police. Shoot me first. Shoot to kill or else. Keep out of my way or you will die. Papa Sam is old now. He needs some blood to preserve his youth. It's like some Illuminati shit, isn't it? Yeah. He has had too many heart attacks. Too many heart attacks. Mm, who's Papa Sam? Uh, me hoot, it hurts, sunny boy. I miss my pretty princess most of all. She's resting in Our Lady's house, but I'll see her soon. I am the monster, Beelzebub, the chubby behemoth. I love to hunt, prowling the streets, looking for fair game, tasty meat. This reminds me of Albert Fish. Is he trying to be a poet or something? Like, the fuck? The women of Queens are the prettiest of all. I must be the water they drink. I live for the hunt. My life. Blood for Papa. Mr. Borelli, sir, I don't want to kill anymore. No, sir. No more, but I must. Honor thy father. I want to make love to the world. I love people. I don't belong on earth. <laughs> okay. Return me to Yahoo's. Okay. To the, queen, to the people of Queens, I love you. And I wa- want to wish... And I wa- want to wish all of you a happy Easter. May God bless you in this, in this life and in the next. And for now, I say goodbye and good night. Please, let me haunt you with these words. I'll be back. I'll be back. To be interpreted as bang, 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 bang. Ugh. Yours in murder, Mr. Monster. Um. On May 26, 1977, a psychological profile was made for the killer. He was predicted to be under severe, severe effects of neurosis, which is not something they do anymore, but in its prime, it was classified as a functional mental disorder with symptoms up to and including obsessive-compulsive disorder, obsessive-compulsive personality disorder, impulse control disorder, anxiety disorder, hysteria, and a great variety of phobias. Baby, that's a Tuesday for me, but... (laughs) All right. Four days later, another letter arrived on the desk of Jimmy Breslin, a daily news columnist. It was alleged that it was from the 44 caliber killer himself. He just popped in, dropped the letter off, out the door. The letter had been postmarked that day from a post office in Englewood, New Jersey, so there was really just like no telling where the letter came from. On the reverse of the envelope, neatly handprinted and four precisely Centered lines were the words blood and family, darkness and death, absolute depravity, 44 caliber. The letter inside read, quote, Hello from the gutters of New York City, which are filled with... Okay, so hold on. I'm going to go ahead and say this letter is better, better wrote than the other one. Hello from the gutters of New York City, which are filled with dog manure, vomit, stale wine, urine, and blood. Hello from the sewers of New York City, which swallow up these delicacies when they are washed away by the sweeper trucks. Hello from the cracks of the sidewalk of New York City, and from the ants that dwell in these cracks and feed in the dry blood of the dead that has settled into the cracks. J.B. 
I'm just dropping you a line to let you know I appreciate your interest in those recent and horrendous 44 caliber killings. I also want to tell you that I read your column daily. Okay. I read your column daily and find it quite informative. Tell me, Jim, what will you have for July 29th? You can forget about me if you like because I don't care for publicity. However, you must not forget Donna Loria. You cannot let the people forget her either. She is a very, very sweet girl, but Sam's a thirsty lad and he won't let me stop killing until he gets his fill of blood. Mr. Breslin, sir, don't think because you haven't heard from me for a while that I went to sleep. No. Rather, I'm still here. Just like a spirit roaming the night. Thirsty, hungry, seldom. Stopping to rest. Anxious to please Sam. I love my work. Now the void has been filled. Perhaps we shall meet face to face someday. Or perhaps I will, I will be blown away by cops with smoking 38 revolvers. It said 38, but a 38 is a revolver. So, Whatever, if I shall be fortunate enough to meet you, I will tell you, you all about Sam if you'd like. And I will introduce you to him. Okay, weird. His name is Sam the Terrible. Not knowing what the future holds, I shall say farewell, and I will see you at the next job. Or should I say you will see my handiwork at the next job? Remember, Miss Loria. Thank you. In their blood and from the gutter, Sam's creation, 44 caliber. Here are some names to help you along. Forward them to the inspector for use by NCIC. The Duke of Death. The Wicked King Wicker, The Twenty-Two Disciples of Hell, John Wheaties, Rapist and Suffocator of Young Girls, P.S. J.B., please inform all the detectives working the case that I wish them the best of luck. Keep them digging, drive on, think positive, get off your butts, knock on coffins, etc. Upon my capture, I promise to buy all the guys working on the case a new pair of shoes if I can get up the money. Son of Sam. So, like, underneath the Son of Sam thing was a logo. You know how, like, that weird thing serial killers do where they, like, they gotta have a logo. Like an LLC or a tax ID number or something. Like, the usual crazy shit they do. So, like, he did that. The unusual stuff about this letter is that comment made about July 29th. Like, what will you have? What will you, what will you have for July 29th? And how this letter sounds nothing like the previous, like I said. It didn't look anything like the previous letter either. The first letter looked like it was written by an eight-year-old. This one had presentation value. Fucking cool points. Calligraphy. Glitter. Okay, it didn't have any glitter but or calligraphy. Or man, it was it was it was well written, I will say. Like it was so much easier to read that letter over the first one. So a week later. The news released portions of the letter fishing for clues, tips, hints, tricks, and anything that they could think of to get a lead, and they got thousands and thousands, but they led nowhere. At the time, the general public, all they knew was that the 44 caliber killer was in the business of attacking women, and for the most part, late at night, and they had long hair, probably dark hair, and then women just started flocking salons and beauty supply stores to alter their appearance so that they weren't on the chopping block. That's the trick. 
you know, you just go and change your hair and you won't get shot, right? Wrong! On June 26, 1977, another shooting happened in Bayside, Queens. 20-year-old Sal Lupo and 17-year-old Judy Placido were sitting in a parked car around 3 a.m. after leaving the Elephus discotheque when three bullets blasted their way through their vehicle. Lupo was hit in the right forearm, Placido was shot in the right temple, shoulder, and the back of her neck. Both victims survived the attack, but did not see their attack. So you remember the hoopla about the anniversary thing that was about, like, what are you going to have for June, whatever, or July, whatever. Police were, well, police were out in full force that night. They had sting cars out, like, you know, they, there were officers undercover pretending to be uh, in lover's lanes, like, in, in the area in which, like, he liked to operate or whatever. They were in full patrol of all boroughs, and they were just waiting, waiting, for, waiting for something to pop off. They were just waiting for the attacker to just attack. And by now, they had like a full, legit task force out trying to catch him because he's got to be out planning. He's got to be out planning something. But that day came, and it went without incident. Then just two days later, yeah, you guessed it. Another fucking shooting happened. Stacy Malkowitz and Robert Violante, both 20, were sitting in a car after their first date. There was some over-the-shirt action. You know what I'm saying? Keep it classy. PG. Then you know the rest. 44 Magnum. Four shots. Bang, 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 bang. Bang. Penetrated their car, striking both victims in the head. Violante lost his eye. Moskowitz lost her life that day on July 31st, 1977. This shooting is significant, though, because this is the one that gets him caught. And it's not how you might expect. But what you should expect is to hear the rest on part three. Thank you for listening. I've been your host, Rashad. Over there is Ajahn. Hey. Uh, tune in. I, I think we're just going to go ahead and just do part three this week. We're going to try. I'm, I'm, I, I got a lot of moving, moving pieces. I'm trying to make shirts and stickers and tote bags. We might be a little nice. Release two episodes on one day. Part two, part three. So we'll see what happens. Uh, check us out on Patreon. A dollar gets you extra episodes. Five dollars gets you stickers. Twenty dollars gets you shirts and shout outs on the show. Thank you to our producers. Yeah. Yeah. Thank y'all so much for your support. Your support means a lot. Once again, be on the lookout for merch, stickers, shirts, tote bags. Just a lot going on. And and, and they don't all just they're not all just pumping pumping the show. I I put clever clever things so if you want to check out our designs head over to our socials instagram at blood and fire water podcast twitter and snapchat bfw pod squad i am currently just grinding these out so and remember if there's anything that you've heard rashad dre any of us say that you would possibly like on the shirt hit us in our dms you might you might see your favorite quote on a shirt Other than that, stay alert, stay alive.